we are here today to talk about diversity in technology and I love the fact that there's so many beautiful diverse faces in the room so go ahead and give yourselves a round of applause for being here awesome awesome so I think a lot of people one my name is Shanice um, miss conversations with Shanice so I started conversations with Shanice and what's the word specifically that's the name of the event because I used to work for a nonprofit that connected veterans to different jobs in the Southern California region. And at the time, we did a lot of panel discussion and networking events, and I loved the idea of it, but I thought that it was very surface level. Every time you go to a panel discussion, it's very transactional. You're only giving business cards or resumes, and it was very suit and tie. And I didn't feel like that resonated very well with me. So I wanted to create an event where we can come network, but still have fun be ourselves, be able to drink, be able to listen to good music, right? And be able to leave hopefully with some really good business connections. If you meet your future wife here, that's great too, right? Shoot um, it, shoot. <laughs> I mean, why not, right? I think we, some of us are, some of us are on Hinge and Tinder, but there is a lot of great <laughs> talent um, in the room tonight, so. There, you know, see, use this as an opportunity to be able to network and just, you know, hopefully build some really strong connections once you leave. Okay, so I would love to start just by having each panelist go down the, the row and just talk about, you know, what is your name, um, where do you currently work at, and then what do you do? Yes, sir. All right. Hi, my name is Ashley Jones, and I work here at BuzzFeed. I'm the supervisor. Woo! Yay! Woo! Welcome to BuzzFeed, guys. Um, I am the supervising producer for Cocoa Butter, which is a newly formed channel that will be launching in June. It is for black culture and content, and so we are really excited for that, and that's what I do here. I'm a producer. Hello everyone, my name is Tasha McCaskill and I go by Tasha Mac because, you know, Tasha Mac, Mac McCaskill. But anyway, um, I'm new to LA, I just hit a year, so I consider that new. I am a publicist, um, my experience is in entertainment and I also have a media company called Black Girls in Media and it is a networking professional organization and slash media company because we create content um, and just any kind of resources to help black women just prosper in the media industry. Give it up for that. I love popping black women. Me and this guy, we don't really do too much. Y'all are killing it. Uh, my name is Charles Kirkendall, and this is great because I can announce I'm actually unemployed as of today. Uh, <laughs> uh, my last day at Airbnb was yesterday. Was that Friday? Yesterday, while I, while I was at Airbnb, I was leading up our engineer leadership with a focus on diversity. And uh, as of Monday, I start a new job as head of talent acquisition at this company called Play Versus, which is an esports platform. We lit. Right, hello, everyone. My name is Leslie. Uh, I'm a founder and CEO of Nextplay Events. Uh, worked at. <laughs> See, we got some fans in the house. But uh, worked at LinkedIn for four years, and I did recruiting, did diversity program management. Saw that there was a big opportunity to get more people of color in tech. It's a trillion dollar industry and we are not getting a piece of the pie. So I started Nextplay to connect black and brown people with six-figure jobs in tech, and that's essentially what we do. We'll talk a little bit more about it later. Awesome. Yeah, y'all give it up a round of applause for the panelists. Thank you guys for being here. 
Um, I totally forgot to mention the sponsors for tonight. So BuzzFeed, thank you so much for sponsoring the space along with all the equipment and other things that they brought to the table. And then Airbnb sponsored the bar. <laughs> Still represent. <laughs> I mean, y'all all drinking tonight, so y'all definitely give it up for Airbnb. <laughs> Um, but I think the first question I want to start off, Charles, is just like, how do people that don't have tech backgrounds or tech degrees really get into the space and how do they contribute to the tech industry? That's great. So I think the biggest misconception is that tech is still not a business. Tech as a word just sounds so big and robust. It's still a company that has infrastructure that has finance so people could get paid, that has legal because people do wild shit. Can we, can we is this a safe space? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> my apologies, I didn't know which charge you wanted today. Um, that has legal, that has HR, that has comms, that has marketing, everything that we all do professionally, there's a place for it in tech. Um, so one of the things that I always tell people when they're like, how do I break into tech? I say cast a wide net. I don't even know if this is your question anymore, but I think people just get caught up on the Facebook, Google, Amazon, train, Twitter maybe, um, if you use Twitter all the time. But like if you go through your app, I mean, you go through your phone, just look at every single one of those apps. We mentioned Tinder, that's a popping tech company. Like there's so many companies that we don't even think about. So if you're trying to break in, don't just silo into just a few companies. Think about every single company that there can be that has a technical component and then you're in tech. And that first role can be a, the role that opens up the door for you to do so much more in the field. Yeah, uh, I definitely agree. Um, I would say that like, you know, Snapchat, I feel like I work at Snapchat right now as a sourcer, right? So I partner with recruiters to build top of the funnel candidates, but Snapchat was a kind of in my eyes was dying at the time when I started it. Um, but nonetheless, when I, when I got into the industry, I realized that we're actually growing our following significantly. And it's just not something that I would have maybe thought about before um, they reached out to me. So definitely I want to piggyback off of that. But in regards to people making themselves more marketable, right? How do we do that? Like, how are we visible, right? Uh, what what types of platforms should we be on in order to be found? And I want to pose that question to Charles and Leslie. Okay, so I started in finance. Um, so I was doing J.P. Morgan, Barclays, doing all of that, hating it, and knew that I wanted to pivot into tech. I didn't think I necessarily had the transferable skills. So what I did is I took a step back in my career, even before I went into tech, I wanted to be a recruiter. So I was like, forget this finance stuff. Let me take a step back, grow my skills in recruitment, and then that might be a better, easier avenue for me to get into tech ultimately. So it worked out pretty well for me, but when I was trying to make that transition from finance into tech, one of the things that I did was I started going through, um, going through job descriptions of the roles that I wanted. And I would see six, seven bullet points, I'm a recruiter now, so I know that those things are oftentimes legacy, not looked at. So out of the seven qualifications, maybe one made sense from what I was doing in finance. So I would focus on that one bullet point and write a fire ass bullet. And then I would go to a different company, look at a different job, oh, this is something that I wanna do. Seven bullet points, it was one. And I'll be like, hmm, I'm doing something that might align to that. And then I would take that bullet and curate it to what it is that I'm doing, just so that it's more marketable. Now, the second step, which I think is the most important step, and there's over 100 people in here, then I reached out to my network. 
Because if we just go through the portal, you're setting yourself up for failure. So from when I actually broke into tech, my first job that I got with Facebook was from a homie that I went to college with who's not of African-American descent who I might have had a couple of classes with. This wasn't the best friend of mine referring me, but had a good reputation, and I shot my shot. We shooting the, the DJ. Y'all didn't see him. He was shooting his shot earlier. Um, I shot my shot. I said, hey, do you mind? I see a role that makes sense. Um, I would really appreciate it if, and I bullet pointed out where those bullets that I made, I bullet pointed out the transferable skills that I thought. He said, Charles, I would happily refer you. And my man went above and beyond, wrote some five-page narrative about me. He don't even know me like that. That's still crazy to me. Um, and that got me my first interview. So I say all that to say, you got to get these internal referrals. We got LinkedIn, or he used to work at LinkedIn. There's some people from LinkedIn in the building who used to work at LinkedIn. It'll show you people that you know that may know somebody. So it might not even be a direct contact. We got to take the fear and... The, if I get put on, you can't get... I'm sorry, I'm going on a tangent. Yeah, I feel no, like preaching today. No, no, no. I feel like preaching unemployed right now. So no. we get so caught up in all, this guy puts me on, then maybe they're going to take my job. No, 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 no. It's enough. If your blessing is yours, it's enough for everybody. So if you have to take 10 minutes out of your day to connect somebody with somebody else, that don't hurt you. Yeah. And maybe that'll open up opportunity the next time you're looking for something. I'm done, Leslie. All right, by show of hands, how many people in this room are in tech, in the tech industry? Okay, so it's about 50-50. So, that was a great response. The one thing I'm gonna emphasize on is getting referrals. The reason why tech is majority white and Asian is because they are referring everybody in their network for all these opportunities. If you get a referral, you're nine times more likely to get the job. So, it doesn't even make sense to try to get a job without getting a referral. If you don't know anyone, you can go on LinkedIn. There's ways to figure out if there's anyone in your network that works there. You reach out to them. Maybe you went to the same school. Or you can just reach out to people cold and just tell them you're interested in what they do. You'd love to borrow 10 minutes, not too much of your time, just to learn a little bit more. Exactly. If that conversation goes well, they might end up referring you. So that's the only thing I would emphasize is you got to get the referral. One of the things that we do at Nextplay is we refer people for jobs. Airbnb is actually one of our customers. Uh, we, got, we got work on uh, BuzzFeed. We'll talk after the show. <laughs> but, uh, <laughs> but anyway, so I'll just leave it at that. Yeah. Cool. And I know we talked obviously about like how to make yourself more marketable, but once we don't, I think what we don't talk about enough is how to navigate the tech industry once you get in the door, right? Like, yeah, it's cool to, to get the job, but then once I am a person of color or a person in a part of a marginalized community, how do I stay there? Um, so I wanna pose the question like, Ashley, how as a woman of color and just somebody in general like, that might be a minority within the group, how do you make sure your ideas are heard and that you're able to implement them? Um, I will say starting off young in my career, um, when I was in my Viacom and I was freelancing, what I always found to be very like helpful is to get people's time, get kind of how he mentioned, let me get 10 minutes of time. So when I would get into a business, I would be going through the Rolodex, I'd be looking on LinkedIn, who are the black women, who are the black men who are doing the jobs that I want to do? Let me learn from them. And I still do that to this day. So 
when I came here to BuzzFeed, um, there's somebody in this room, she was on the panel a couple uh, months ago that I came here before I went to BuzzFeed. And I remember her and I kept the flyer and as soon as I got here, I was like, I gotta find this woman, can't remember her name, found the flyer, looked her name up, ran into her and I'm like, I remember you, Trish, from the panel. And I'm like, we need to set time. And so she's a woman of color. She's been here. She's been in the game longer. And immediately, I think people look at reaching out to people, especially as they get in the role, as a sign of weakness, potentially, or that you know, you're going to come and try to take their job with something. No, you're using it as to build a relationship. Because what I learned early on is that you always need allies in your company. You can have somebody that is your mentor to help you. But when you get in the company in the door, you need to make sure you have an ally. So I bounce ideas off of Trish all the time. I bounce ideas off of other people that I've been here and meeting in the company and just kind of making sure that what I'm saying comes off correctly, what I'm posing comes off correctly, and asking them what is their best um, way to maybe approach something since they've been at the company a little bit longer. So taking a little bit of what I've learned from my previous experience and putting it in with my new job is kind of how I make sure that my ideas are heard, especially as a woman of color, because our voices tend to get dimmed a little bit, and we need to make sure that we are sticking together and working together so that our voices can be heard. So definitely, I would say, having a community and finding an ally within your company is, is something that's super helpful. Yeah, definitely. Cool. And, and Tasha, I know that obviously you have Black Girls in Media, and so I wanna talk a little bit about like what Black Girls in Media does and how does it really help black women get into the tech slash entertainment space? Yes, definitely. So black girls in media, one of our core values is to uplift and support each other. Um, and I always say, you know, one can only go but so far, but together we can go even further. So by doing that, we support each other. We, um, we say that, you know, we're not competition. You know, we're supporting each other. We're providing each other resources. So um, yeah, that's just our main goal is yeah. to give each other these opportunities and know that um, we're just here for each other. Yeah. Um, yeah. So Charles, I think a lot of times, or me personally, I'll speak for myself, when you get into a new type of company, especially tech company, um, you don't know how to necessarily act. Should you act like yourself? Should you, should you code switch, right? So do you think that code switching is necessary, number one, especially in the tech industry? And then if not, um, how do you bring your authentic self to work in order to be able to get the job done? That's a great question. Um, I would say when I stepped into tech and I came from finance where I acted like this, good morning, my name is Charles Herkendall, greetings and citations, is there anything that I can do to assist you? That was just, <laughs> that was how you had to move, you know what I mean, to make it work. Um, and in tech, a lot of companies are based on core values and based on, you know, you bringing your authentic self to work. And I was struggling with that. Um, and on top of that, I had imposter syndrome, not thinking I was really smart enough to be in a role that I got anyway. So I'm sitting back here like, what the fuck I get myself into? You know what I mean? Yeah. When, I, when I came into Facebook um, and it took me meeting with the entire team, some of it was a part of the onboarding. Some of it was a part of me trying to reach out to learn from people that I did not know and how they operated and to open my mind up for my siloed way of thinking as I came in. And I was like, oh, everybody's themselves. I'm this guy from the west side of Chicago that went to this predominantly white institution that plays a fraternity that moved to New York, that's now in San Francisco. I can be that guy. This guy's 
Asian American, his parents are first generation, and he has an accent too. I have my Chicago accent, he has an accent too. He's happy and content being that person. So at that point, I felt a little bit more comfortable being myself. But I still ask the question when we go into a code switching conversation, what is your code? Because if your code is somebody who is closed-minded or can't take feedback or want to pop off, like don't, don't bring that code to work. Don't bring the street code to work. You know? That's not the code, but if the code is you being true to yourself and your values and your morals and what you believe in, you 100% bring that. And when I wasn't bringing that, people kind of looked at me like I was being fake. Like, oh, and I worked in a social media company. They were like, Charles, you, we see you outside of work. You, you got a public profile. Like, you, what you acting so different at work for? And I was like, I don't really want that guy. That guy, y'all understand his ideas and trust that he can articulate it well, and maybe he's not using some of the larger words, like egregious, licentious, other words that I've come to know over. The, you know what I mean? Like, y'all still think that that guy's coming up with great ideas and putting data and analytics to draw decisions? Like, y'all trust that? And they were like, yes, be you. Yeah. And that's brought me to places I never even dreamt of. That's so. amazing. That's amazing. Also, you want to talk I want to touch on, a, you talked a little bit about imposter syndrome, right? So I want to ask anybody on the panel, like, you know, have you ever had imposter syndrome? And then how do you, have you ever had imposter syndrome? And then like, how do you deal with that? Yeah, um, it's interesting because I never really had imposter syndrome until I moved to LA. Um, I <laughs> And I think it's because, so like I said, I just hit a year here. And so when I first got here, I was blessed to meet colleagues that are in the PR industry. And honestly, they had big clients, you know, like my close friends, they were, I'm talking, they work with your favorite rappers, the well-known athletes. And I was inspired, you know, like it motivated me to keep going. Um, Cause I'm from Charlotte, North Carolina. So when I was in Charlotte, it's a smaller city so I had a lot of contacts there. I was known for the girl who throws events. I was known as the girl who, you know, knows local media. So, you know, of course in Charlotte, I'm like feeling myself or whatever. Hey. And, then, <laughs> and then I get to LA and you know that saying is small fish in a big pond. I kind of felt like that when I got here and I didn't realize, but I would go to events with my friends, those friends that are in PR and you know, you know the LA question is, so what do you do? And so my friends will answer confidently, like, you know, I'm a publicist. And I found myself not really, I would be like, you know, someone say like, so what do you do? And I'd be like, I'm a publicist. Like, I would kind of like find myself not saying it as comfortably because I felt like I wasn't that because I wasn't as big as them per se. Um, so I really had to journal about that. Like it was a, a self journey that I had to go through when I got here. And I kind of had to go back to that person that I felt in Charlotte, you know? Um, I would say even if you don't feel like you're who you want to be right now, um, imagine that person and be that person because you are that person. And once you start believing in yourself, then others will too. Yeah. So I got my confidence back and I've just had to, you know, keep pushing. So um, I finally got over imposter syndrome, but it was definitely something that I never dealt with before until I got here. Um, so if you're dealing with it, just know, like, if you're in those rooms, you're in those rooms for a reason, and don't second guess it. Um, and yeah, it's all for a reason. 
Um, I didn't have imposter syndrome, but I kind of had the, the same thing, like the quiet syndrome. So when I worked at Viacom, I was like an assistant to a president and had a lot of heavy volume, high level clients. And so as a black woman sitting at the desk as the gatekeeper to this white man's office, I felt very like I need to play a part and be quiet and do my job and get everything done and go home. And I realized that just being too quiet kind of damaged the credibility of my work. So I've had to learn to be a little bit more vocal to be myself because as a black woman you just don't you don't want to be taken as mean or combative you don't want to have the attitude just because it's like it's it's just the, the way I'm talking I'm not having an attitude I'm just having a conversation with you and I think that's why I've seen so many of my friends go through that where they had to do the code switching that they had to have the imposter syndrome because they didn't want to be taken as the aggressive black woman and so I've had to learn how to combat that with just being able to just say, no, this is my role, this is my job, this is my place, and I'm just having a conversation, I'm just communicating with you as any other person would do. So I think it's just a lot more of a self-confidence thing, but it is a, it's a big thing. Like the code switching is such a big thing, especially for women, because it, it gets labeled. I've seen it happen to so many of my friends of being like, they're combative, they're mean, they're rude, and that's not the case, it's just, it's just who they are. And um, so yeah, just kind of work on that self-confidence if you find yourself being one of those quieter people, such as myself. Yeah, and I mean, I think that's something that I'm trying to make sure that I'm not perpetuating as well, but learning how to take the feedback, right? of how I come off and knowing what my weaknesses and my strengths are and then also building allyship and mentorship with other women who are in the same space as me that are teaching me how to be able to communicate and hear my for to have my ideas received, right? Um, you talked a little bit about cre credibility, but I wanna pose the question to Leslie and Tasha because you guys are both young professionals that have started careers, right? And I think sometimes we go through um, maybe people not taking us seriously because we are younger. So how did you establish credibility at a young age to be able to launch your businesses? And have you ever felt like you dealt with ageism in the process of building up your empire? This is actually related to the last question you asked yeah. about just imposter syndrome, authenticity. I don't know if I've ever dealt with ageism, but I can kind of tell my story a little yeah. bit. So I didn't really start thriving until I started being myself. So when I got into tech, I was a recruiter, and my team was pretty much all white. I didn't look like anyone on the team. I didn't sound like anyone on the team. My communication style was different. And when I listened to the other, the other recruiters, both of y'all could probably relate, when I listened to their phone calls, <laughs> I felt this pressure to sound like them. But it wasn't me. So when I took my phone calls, initially I took them in, in, uh, in the conference room. I didn't feel comfortable taking it out on the floor the way you're supposed to. But eventually, you just get tired of just being somebody that you're not. And the moment that I decided I'm just gonna be myself when I talk to candidates, I'm gonna keep my same casual communication style. I'm real conversational, I like to get to know the candidates a little better. That just kind of led to a bunch of different things. And so I had gotten a new job as a diversity program manager and a part of my job was hosting networking events. And so I started asking myself, can I, so I'm an artist, right? I'm a musician, I used to be in a band. So I started asking myself, can I really incorporate more of my authentic self in the work that I'm doing? I didn't like networking events. Why don't we have any culture in this networking events? How could we bring a bunch of black and brown people together and there's no culture? The food is trash, there's no live DJ. This is not the culture. So I took a risk, I took a risk and I um, talked to my manager, 
just shared some ideas. I was like, why don't we do open mic networking events? So we've all been to open mic events where people perform, things like that. And so I told my manager about it. She was on board. I had to tell her manager, senior director, um, white lady. She was like, what's open mic? She didn't know what open mic was. <laughs> so anyways, the only reason I bring this up is because I learned something in that process. I told her about the, con the concept was basically let's merge these events with a lot of culture, right? Let's have live dance performances. Let's dim the lights a little bit. Let's have a live DJ. Let's have our authentic food that we actually eat. Let's get the music that we actually listen to. A bunch of different things. And so when I told her, she just had a lot of questions. So I decided I was gonna go to every black and brown employee that I knew in the company. I knew a lot of them. I told them about the idea, got them excited. This is important because a lot of times we think about going to the top to get buy-in, but sometimes if you bring all your peers, if you bring all of them along, you get buy-in from everyone, they're not gonna tell every single black and brown employee, no, we're not doing this. You don't want that smoke at that point. That's the whole. So anyway, so that's kind of what, that's how I got that whole concept approved and it became like a successful initiative and it led to the business that we're running today. Next play. So. Thank you for sharing that, that's amazing. And I've been to Next Play events, so I'm just gonna plug you guys real quick because they did something at Snapchat and it was amazing. So if you are a part of a tech company here, um, definitely reach out to Leslie afterwards. Um, so, you know, Ashley, I know you are developing Coco Butter's channel for BuzzFeed right now, and it's a lot of black and Latinx content on the, on the channel, right? So uh, talk to me a little bit about like, how do you create content that is still relevant, but is um, receptive and the masses can receive it, right? So how are you creating stuff that all people can watch, but it's authentic to what black people go through on a daily basis? Um, I think the key strategy to that right now is that we are working with everybody who is black and brown at BuzzFeed. So a lot of our development meetings and our um, content workshops, we're working with people in the New York office who are black and brown. We're working with people in the LA office who work in maybe facilities management, who work in um, ad sales. Like we are pegging them to help create the content because we are all different versions of black people. I grew up on the East Coast, somebody grew up on the West Coast. I went to a public school, somebody went to a private school. I went to a Temple, which is a white university where other people went to HBCUs. So we wanna be able to have content that looks like everybody so you don't feel like, okay, this is only one channel just has this one type of content that doesn't speak to my black experience. We want to have content that speaks to everybody's black experience. And so that's kind of what we're doing right now is just working with everybody who is here. And it's like all hands on deck, like bring me your ideas, bring me your concepts. Let's try to test it out and see. Luckily with BuzzFeed, we have a very like quick turnaround process so we can produce something, put it up within a month. And BuzzFeed viewers are very, very open. They will let you know if they like something or don't like something in the first few comments. They're gonna be like, this is trash or this is not. So like right now, you know, we're, we're, we're testing a dating concept that's up right now in BuzzFeed video, check it out. I set my coworker up on a blonde date and that is a video up with our New York office. So it's two people out of that office. Um, and so we just need people to watch and like it and let us know. Um, and so also taking the feedback from the viewers. Like if they're saying this is trash and this doesn't experience, you know, speak to the experience, they'll always tell us 
what does speak to their experience. And we take those comments really seriously. We like to say, like screenshot the comments. I'll pull them up in a meeting and I'm like, hey guys, these are all the comments that came up in this video. This is what's working or this is what's not working. Let's, how do we make this better? Um, and so that's kind of what we are hoping to do. We're also hoping to open up doors. Like we don't see that many black DIYs. So we're looking for somebody who works in the DIY space. We wanna um, show things that we don't see, which is like strong relationships between black fathers and their family. So we're doing contents with dads and their daughters. Um, wanna see like healthy cooking, vegan cooking. So we're bringing in black chefs. So we are like trying to open the door to have content that speaks to all black experiences. I love that. And you, you obviously are talking about the content curation portion of black media or just people of color in general. But I know for black girls in media, you're trying to bring those people to the spaces to be able to work. So talk a little bit about like how are you trying to make sure there's accurate representation for people behind the screen? Yeah, so I think for black girls in media, what we really try to do on our social media and um, our blog posts and just any content that we release, we don't post or highlight any negative media, um, any news about black people, anything negative, because it's so, look at this room, like so many people are doing amazing things, so we'd much rather focus on that. Um, so, you know, the ways that we do that is we do interviews, we highlight members, we highlight women in the media industry, we highlight actors, even people, we um, highlight black-owned businesses. So. The way we are, um, you know, showing representation is by just highlighting all the great things everyone is doing. So representation matters. I feel like if you have a large platform, you should definitely use it and, um, you know, make use of it. Use it for your benefit. Inspire someone that, you know, you can inspire millions. So that's what we really are trying to do. Um, so for the content that we are doing, while we are putting people of color on the camera, our whole crews behind the camera are all black. We just shot two episodes of two new concepts that are coming in Vegas. Our whole crew was black. We did Black History Month on like another level. So I'm just gonna say that. Yeah. Our crews are all black, so yeah. Um, and we're talking obviously about culture. I, I wanna talk to you specifically, Leslie, because you mentioned how you bring culture to the tech space. But can you talk a little bit about what or how Nextplay has specifically benefited some certain tech companies through some of the events that you've put on? Like, what, are, what is the impact that you've made? Yeah, so we've been around for about two years, and we've worked with um, dozens of tech companies, Snap being one of them, Airbnb, a ton, a lot of your favorite tech companies. What's the impact that we've made? So our slogan is um, hashtag they say we don't exist. So that's the current narrative that you're hearing from a lot of tech companies, mm -hmm. which is used as an excuse to not hire mm. black and brown people at the rate that these companies are supposed to. So for example, today we have um, a network of over 10,000 black and brown software engineers globally, right? If you tell the average tech company that these people are out there, like they're gonna ask you, where did you find these people? And we're just scratching the surface. There's tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands. Obviously that number could be bigger. So we help companies connect with these engineers that they quote unquote cannot find. And the way we do it is by hosting, they're really community, they're networking events, they're recruiting events, but the, the focus is on community because not only do tech companies subscribe to that narrative, there's black and brown engineers that subscribe to that narrative as well. Um, I went to an event here recently, I met a, director of, uh, a black director of engineering at Verizon 
and he doesn't, he's been here for a long time and doesn't really know any other black engineers. So if they don't see each other enough, then they start believing that too. So when we host these events, we bring maybe 100 senior, not entry level, not at the junior level, we bring 100 of them that are senior, and there's a whole lot of goodness that comes from that. And then companies could plug in in that environment and have genuine, authentic conversations, and they end up hiring people. So we've helped companies hire a ton of um, black and brown engineers at all levels, as well as other business units too. So we do have sales, marketing, HR, legal finance, et cetera, et cetera. But the emphasis is always on culture. This is not like a career fair. It's not a transactional environment. And so when you create space where people could celebrate their culture, network with like-minded people, companies could plug in in an authentic way and, and they end up hiring these people. Yeah. And then, can, I, yeah. can I double up on that? Because he and I actually partnered for Next Play with Airbnb, and I'm gonna shout this man out, he's a very humble dude, but he infiltrated a system like a machine of an Airbnb and got his company to be a medium for us to connect with top diverse talent. Um, and so him and his team, we recently just tried to streamline what that process was gonna look like. That was one of the last things that I did with Brian who's walking in with a drink right now. He been here, he been here, he just went to the bar. <laughs> uh, with Brian on how to streamline what that process looks like long term. And we just had a test case where we got a offer extend for a very senior level candidate, but that relationship took six months and it took the guy speaking to his team and being like, before I want to interview Airbnb, I need to talk to some people. And not on the interview, no, I need to talk to the homies. Like that was effectively what he said in a way more articulate way. Um, so I spent months curating a relationship with him. I had him speak with another black engineer and somebody else from the recruitment team where he could just get all of his questions out. And it took six months till we got that offer, but we got another black man in the engineering field at the senior level to get an offer at Airbnb. And that's not an easy thing to do. So when we have mediums that can kind of be the plug for lack of a better word, to get you in spaces, get your questions answered, get you prepared for that interview, whether that's for engineering or marketing or uh, product management, and you don't know what the interview process looks like, we need to start tapping these networks. And I think everybody needs to be part of the next one, I'm just gonna be honest, yeah. but we need to start tapping these networks. And when you do get the interview, you're just like sitting at home reading material. No, you need to talk to people who's in the business. You understand? And get a understand what you're about to get into so i end up having to take a lot of those calls and it does take time out of my day i'm not gonna act like it doesn't but people are like what is the interview process like what is this like um after phase one what does the on-site day look like and that information share is really what's getting people through that door it's not sitting on the internet for five hours just like trying to review core value information and high level news and you should do all of that let me be clear when i apply for jobs i'm interviewing for jobs i want to know everything about the company but still those other conversations that you could get from the homies from the culture really 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 is what sets you up to be prepared for that opportunity so that you don't blow it yeah thank you so much for that um piggybacking both on you now right so you guys obviously talk about how you bring the culture to tech technology industries, but for anybody in the room that maybe is not in the tech industry, what do you think is the biggest advantage in working in an ecosystem like ours? I can start, this is what I wear to work every day. I have my Jordans on, I say, what's up, top of the morning. Uh, they're like, Charles, you're so crazy. Um, 
But I literally get to be me. And something that you said, Leslie, resonated with me wholeheartedly when you were like, um, until you started to be yourself, that was when you saw the potential and everything skyrocket. And I was oftentimes hiding the personality that is Charles from work. Like, no, that's not what a work environment is supposed to be. You know what I mean? And when I started being that person, like it's been like a rocket ship for my career. So I'm appreciative to be in a field. And I won't say that this is in every industry, but in tech specifically, like if you bring your authentic self and you trust your ideas and you're able to back up what those ideas um, can manifest into using data and being strategic about it, like the sky's the limit. That brought up one extra piece about tech. It's not super duper top down. Like if you come up with an idea, and I've been at a couple tech companies in tech, they're like, okay, you do it. <laughs> like, it's a you do it. And you're like, wait, you gonna let me own this? You know I'm gonna get a new job from this, right? Like, <laughs> you understand what I'm, no, you literally get to own stuff and create stuff and really build. But you have to, again, be willing to share your ideas, be able to articulate it and back it up with data and, and other things to kind of get buy-in. And whether that's from your peers or top down, but yeah, that tech is lit. All right, so I'm going to talk about money. I think money is like one of the biggest advantages of being in tech. There's no other industry that's as wealthy as, this, um, as the tech industry. We're talking about trillions of dollars being made in this industry. And one of the main advantages you have is ownership. So when you work for tech companies, you have equity. They give you a piece of the company. And that is a lot of money. So... Let me, let me be practical. Let me just give you some examples. <laughs> Dozy's looking at me. <laughs> and I'll use engineering just for the sake of this example. There are college students who are graduating, getting entry-level software engineering roles. They're coming in, their salary is like $120,000 a year. They're getting a 100K sign-on bonus, and you're getting a shit ton of equity. Think about it, you're 22, 23 years old. What do you do with that kind of money? And <laughs> <laughs> no, so at the end of the day, to get a little serious, I think tech is the biggest opportunity we've ever had to close the global economic gap. I mean, we're way behind a lot of other ethnic groups for obvious reasons, 400 years of slavery, systemic uh, racism, oppression, like, we're way behind. But tech is, I think, the biggest opportunity to level the playing field, and it's all about your merits, too. If you're good and you add value, they'll let you run with it. And they'll let you go really far. So I think that's one of the main advantages of getting into tech, the wealth, the opportunity to build that wealth, which is transgenerational. It's a game changer. Yeah, I agree a thousand percent. Being somebody who went from a nonprofit to an aerospace company to now tech, I, I make the most I've ever made and hopefully it continues to grow. <laughs> Better preach. Uh, yeah. um, on what your Charles was saying about being able to do things where you have an idea and they're like, okay, you can do that. That is really what's happening here at BuzzFeed for myself. I come from long form content on a cable side where it takes months and years for ideas to develop, legal to go through, say yes or no, find the funding. I had an idea and I was like, I wanna shoot this, this idea in Vegas where we highlight we buy black where you travel and you buy black uh, go in and buy black businesses you're gonna go to Vegas instead of going to the strip you're gonna go to a black owned restaurant you're gonna go to a black owned bar you're gonna go to a black owned lounge you're gonna go to a black owned place to get your hair done you're gonna have a whole black experience when you go to Vegas change what it looks like and they're like okay do it I was like what 
I thought this was gonna take like months. I thought we were gonna take what? I had that idea in December, we shot it February. So it's like, it's able, I will say for a content creator on the tech side, it's really an amazing experience to be able to put your ideas out there and know that they're gonna support you. They don't wanna see, see it fail and what BuzzFeed does like to do is put something up and then see if it doesn't do well, what can we do to tweak it? So it's not just like, oh, I told you that idea wasn't gonna work. Oh, she just went out and did whatever she wanted. No, it's like we have a bit of a support system which is a whole lot more than I can say coming from the cable industry where your content will get pulled down after like three episodes if it's not looking good. If the numbers aren't doing well, let's pull it off. So this, I, I do enjoy being a content creator in the tech space. Yeah, I love that. Shout out to BuzzFeed. If y'all are looking for any type of positions, y'all should go talk to Farron or Ashley. <laughs> um, a couple of closing, uh, I guess, questions, right? One, if people are in the room and they want to break into the tech industry, how can they start connecting with people beforehand outside of this event before they actually apply? And I want to pose that to you, Charles. How they can connect with people before, before they apply. Oh, next, oh, next play is an amazing <laughs> medium for that. Uh, that's number one. But I would say, A, like in LA, I saw a gap. I know a lot of popping people in LA, and I've only been here a year. And there was like no space for cross-functional collaboration and stuff. And I came from New York. I was like, bro, there's always some type of mixer happy hour with all these different groups. I was like, where are we doing that? So I was like, I'll create it. Cool. So I created this thing called Black Cooperative LA, which is a lot of my friends who are just popping at these other companies. And we can do cross-functional ERG things. And it's not just closed off to us. Like I, I just wanted to protect the space where people who actually want to show up, people who actually care, people who actually want to do work. But it's like an Instagram group, just join it. I post flyers, I post this. And it's like, oh, you can pull up here, you can meet new people, because we have to broaden that network. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do like a two-minute spiel before I go. We have to A, broaden that network, then you have to leverage that network. And in leveraging it, I already, told, I already spoke a little bit about what that looks like. But then we got to go deeper. We have to share information. He spoke on compensation. Everybody kind of tensed up. I saw it with my eyes. It was like, oh, we're going to talk about that? But we need to talk about money. I'm going to go back to college. And I want to talk about the sharing of information real quick. I was doing really piss poor in a poli-sci class. I thought I was going to be a lawyer because I like to talk. Thank God I didn't do that. Um, but I was like, if I don't pass this final, I might not get a C. I might mess up my GPA. So some of my homies from Sid Cod, that's an all-white fraternity pretty much, they were like, Charles, do you want to study with us? I was like, sure. Let's do it, Brad. So I go over to their house, and we're, <laughs> and we're studying for the final. And I was like, oh, I'm a, we got to do it. They were like, we just do it all night, and we didn't really pay attention all semester. They pull out this thing, and it was called a test file. They were like, oh, which professor are you? Oh, Sun Hill Sahu, I remember his name, because he was trying to fail me. And he said, oh, these are all the papers from our fraternity uh, for all the finals. Just go through it and review. I said, what? I said, oh, this is what I'm going up against? Y'all know the man's social security number? Like, bro. But that's the way that they share information. It's not like, oh, if you get an A, I don't get an A. You get a B, I don't get a B. We're at a time now, from a financial perspective, I'm bringing it home, where these companies can no longer ask your compensation. We ask you, what is it you're looking for? I'm about to preach right now. And nobody knows what the yes. price is. Nobody knows what the right price is. And so when I'm talking to people, I'm like, your price is your price. And if you need to understand what that looks like, going to glass door is not the answer. We need to know. Like, what? 
How much you getting paid? I know that's an uncomfortable conversation, but we need to start becoming more comfortable with that uncomfortable because you're getting less equity. You're getting less base. You're not even asking for a sign-on. You're just happy that you're at BuzzFeed, uh, Airbnb, LinkedIn previously. That that's all. You say, oh, okay, cool. you saying yes. The minute I get that offer, it's more money than I ever got. I said, I need to talk to my wife. I'll uh, circle back with you and let you know. And I'm like, I ain't accepting this. I want more. And I'm like, that, one, that offer was great. I ain't going to lie to you, but I'm always like, no. I'm going to push the envelope a little bit. So we need to get comfortable having those conversations after we meet each other, network with each other, do concrete things with each other that's really going to continue to help us all uplift. Yeah. And I'm done speaking for the night. Yeah. And yeah, I, oh. I just want to say, um, alongside with that, I feel like for some reason I just feel it in the atmosphere. Like today, right now, we are in the most like collaborative, supportive stand together, you know, um, error, I guess you could say. Like, I just feel it. Um, I feel like we're here to help each other. And I would say it's so important, like, black girls in media, we, you know, strive to connect each other because it's like a trickle-down effect. We connect each other, we network, and we open these doors for each other. So, you know, for example, we have Ashley that'll open the door for Brittany. Brittany is at BuzzFeed now creating more black content which is shared to the world. So I just feel like these opportunities and this era right now where we're supporting each other, we're here together, I think it's so important and I feel good about it. And I feel like we're moving in the right direction to be as transparent as possible because, you know, we, to be fair, we didn't get a lot of these resources and we are at an um, unfair advantage. So I feel like um, we are going in the right direction. So I'm happy and yeah. yeah. One thing I want to hopefully piggyback off of is I do work in HR, so I want to let anybody in the room know if you are going to interview for companies, if any recruiter is asking you like what you made previously, that's actually illegal. So you can not answer that question. If anybody asks you what your expectation is, you also can refuse to ask that question. And then you can respond back by saying, hey, well, actually, I would love to know the range for the role. And they are obligated by law to give you the range. Then from there, please aim upward. <laughs> aim upward. If I tell you the range for the role is 150 to 170 k you need to be saying, well, actually, you know, I was really hoping for 190, but, you know, I'll have to talk to my wife and maybe we'll see. Or, or I don't know, sometimes, or maybe a little bit down, but don't go, oh, well, actually, you know, 150 sounds good. They will lowball you. They're going to give you what you asked for, right? So I just want to make that quick plug for you because we should be asking more questions instead of just taking opportunity and, and running with it. Um, yeah, real quick, we could do an entire... Like, oh, yeah, that's a whole <laughs> But I, I'm just going to say one thing that a lot of people don't know. So when you have a job and you're looking to get a promotion or you're looking to get a raise, the best way to do it is not to wait until your mid-year reviews or your annual reviews, the subject called off-cycle. You want to have that conversation outside of that because if you wait until mid-year or your annual reviews, your manager, they give your manager a certain amount of money, and that's it. Their job is to distribute that. Uh, between the team. But when you have that conversation outside of that, you should definitely still do that mid-year, annual, but when you have that conversation outside of that, there's more flexibility. And just to show you that it works, back when I worked, back when I still had a nine to five, in one year, I was able to get a $40,000 pay increase. That sounds crazy, right? Like most increases like five, 10K, whatever, maybe 15. 
But I did it so much off cycle. It wasn't easy. It was stressful. But I did it so much that I ended up getting a $40,000 pay increase by the end of the year. So it's something a lot of people don't know. Have that conversation so then they can now escalate it to the leaders and everyone else on the team won't really be involved in that conversation. These are things that we don't know. The last thing I'm going to say about connecting uh, with people when you're looking for a job, relationships are so important because sometimes you find out about a job that has not even been posted. Like those of us that are in recruiting, we know this. Like a lot of times before a role goes live, we already have candidates yeah. in mind. And so if you don't have a network, you never find out about those opportunities. A lot of times, some of these jobs are posted because they have to post it. They already know who they want to move forward with. So that's just, that just shows you how important it is to build those relationships. Yeah. So I'll leave it at that. No, I agree 100%. So if we haven't emphasized enough, please uh, talk to Charles about his Black Cooperative. Talk to Leslie about Next Play. Talk to Tasha about media, Black Girls in Media. Talk to Ashley about being in content if that's something you're interested in. Like, let's continue to connect with one another. And on that note, the last question I want to leave with for everybody is how do we continue to create allyship amongst different groups, right? So it's not just about Black and Brown people. I want to make that very clear. Like. We, this is about us, but we have to create allyship with other groups. So how can we do that? What are some ways, what are some tips that you guys have for people? I feel like a good way to start is diversifying your knowledge. So um, I'm kind of a nerd, low key. Like I like to learn about everything. So every day I like listen to podcasts about just different topics like healthcare and um, stocks. And because I grew up not knowing anything about stocks. so. I just try to diversify my knowledge and um, connect with people outside of my race. Um, and because I feel like if you diver diversify your knowledge, you diversify your perspective in life and therefore um, you're also able to just, you know, connect with other people on a different level. Um, I feel like some, I went to an HBCU, but I feel like, um, and then, hi, auntie. Um, <laughs> And, but then I went to grad school at NYU, so I feel like me being able to um, network with those different type, I you know, had classmates that different, lived in different countries, from different countries, and it just provided me like, um, just to diversify my outlook in life. So I would say diversify your knowledge first of all, and um, create that relationship with other people. I'll go. Um, a, I only got into tech for somebody who wasn't black. So let me just be there. Like when I tell you, I'm just so grateful for that God, Dan. Um, and I went to PWI. I didn't, I didn't have this that often. Like other than growing up in Chicago, going to the bus stop. Like I've been in multicultural spaces my entire life. And I just view people as people. I do think we need to have our own space, hence Black Air Airbnb, hence this, hence Next Play. We need that. But outside of that, in the rooms, in the senior level rooms, it don't look like this. So you gotta be able to build relationships and connect with people who don't look like you. Um, couple examples. My one mentor is my old boss from Facebook. She was the one that gave me my first shot in the tech because they, I guess I was on the cusp. They told me later, it was like, Charles, you're a little on the cusp on the interview. And she was like, no, I want him for my team. We'll ramp him up. He'll be good. She made a great decision. Let me be clear, but I, I, I like her like that. Um, but when I got this opportunity to become head of talent, I was like, nah, I'm not ready for that, man. I'm 31. I love Airbnb. That's something I'm trying to do, like 40, all of this. And she was like, bro, Literally, like she didn't say, bro, I'm gonna just talk my language. She was like, she was like, bro, if you were 
Sorry. She's like, if you're a white boy and they had a friend that wanted to bring you on to head up their business, you think they're being self-deprecating, saying, no, I'm not ready? No, they're taking that. You need to take that. And I don't know that that would have been the advice from somebody else. So those other perspectives can be so, 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 so helpful. And then when I was going through my review at Facebook, like I said, the re review rooms don't look like this. And I wasn't in the review room at that time. Um, I got promoted off cycle. And I was like, what? <laughs> what y'all think about my work that made y'all want to promote me? And so all the other people in the room that don't look like me has something great enough to say about Charles that made them promote me when I was not fighting or asking for or expecting a promotion. So again, connect with people, be open to other cultures. If they say, yo, let's go get pho, you're like, I'll go try to pho then, you know what I'm saying? Like, like why not? Like build relationships with people because those relationships go so far in those tense moments in those moments where, you know, we're really trying to build something, they sometimes get contentious. Like, we know it's not personal at that point if you connected with that person. But that's, that's it. That because um, one of my older sister, she worked, she started out in corporate America before she switched careers. And one of the big things she told me too was to like, go outside your comfort zone a little bit. So she was working, she went to HBCU. She's a like hardcore, she a black girl. So, so they were like, we got a, a softball league starting. And she was like, I hate softball. But my dad was like, no, you, you join that softball team. You join it. Because that is where relationships are cultivated. They're cultivated outside of the office. So like my dad, he, he took up golf because he needed to cultivate relationships. My sister took up softball because she needed to cultivate those relationships. And I had to take that and find out what that area is too. And in each company I've gone to, I've had to like figure out kind of what it is that I like to do and how can I make that a natural relationship. And so one of my good mentors who is a white male, he loves old school, like 90s, like we will talk about 90s music all day, every day. And that was just kind of like, I walked by his office, heard him play something. And I was like, what is that, Matt? Okay. And that he became my mentor. And so a lot of the jobs I got, I would go into, he would send my resume for jobs and people would call me and I'm like, didn't even know they were calling me. And he'd be like, send me text, oh, I forgot to tell you, I sent your resume, this, somebody shouldn't be calling you. I'm like, they called me 20 minutes ago. So yeah, so it's, just, it's cultivating those natural relationships. Him and I will go hit a concert sometimes or we'll go grab dinner. Like making those relationships with people that are natural, like we are all people that have something in common somewhere. It will be golf, it will be softball, it will be music, it will be something, but it will help you get a seat at a table or you'll have a seat at the table and didn't even know you had that seat. And that's kind of what happened with him is that I got jobs and my name was in rooms that I didn't even know my name was in a room. I was like, oh, okay, cool, thanks, Matt. So yeah, like cultivate those relationships um, because they will get you a seat at the table because we need to have our presence. Like that is my thing. I work in corporate, a lot of, I work in content space. So a lot of my friends are freelance. They don't feel like they wanna work for the man. They don't wanna have their content stifled. But I'm like, no, my mission is to have a seat at a table to be on the bigger platform because we need somebody to help regulate our content to say, this is showing our people in a good space or not a good space, which oftentimes is not a good space. So I'm all about having a seat at a table. So get your seat. Yeah. Um. I think you've all alluded to it, but uh, sponsorship is, is key. Uh, a lot of the success I had when I was in corporate was definitely because of um, allyship, right? A lot of the leaders who run these companies don't look like us, so it's critical to build those relationships. Now, how exactly do you build those relationships? There's different ways. One of the things you can do is 
sign up for a project. It may be unrelated to what you're doing, but sign up for high visibility projects. If you know there's some leaders that are sponsoring certain projects and by you being involved, they're gonna get to know you. You can build that relationship. They can see your work. That's one way to do it. Sometimes you could join an ERG like ERG Leadership and a lot of times the sponsors are allies and you can build that relationship. Um, one of my mentors told me to share your accomplishments with leaders. It's very simple, but a lot of people don't do it. If you have accomplishments, literally send an email and just let them know exactly what you've done and just do that regularly. And he challenged me to do that with the CEO of LinkedIn. Most people have never emailed the CEO of a big ass company like that. But I tried it and he actually read those emails and responded. I didn't think that was gonna happen, but sometimes it's just getting outside your comfort zone, right? Trying things that you would normally never think of, it makes the biggest difference. And when you have an executive sponsor, as an ally, yeah. it changes everything because they talk about you when you're, when you're not in the room. and It makes it easier for you to get that promotion, get that yeah. salary increase, et cetera, et cetera. I agree. I agree. Wow.